Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Friday night hangout. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't take an art class, we've got everything you need here at Art Prof, critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. John, I love how a lot of you guys like the content that requires the least amount of effort. I am a very big fan of this. <laughs> because a lot of our content is very time consuming to put together. I've been trying to strike a balance so that I'm not always doing content like that. And I'm trying to make more content recently, you've probably seen with the shorts that can be thrown together very quickly and spontaneously, which I think in some cases is the appeal when you're in the moment. As much as I have my long queue of things I'd like to do that I've planned far, far in advance, you never know <laughs> when something's going to pop up. I'll be doing something and think, oh, this would be helpful. Maybe people would like to see me do this dumb thing. <laughs> because really, you learn from me doing the dumb things. It's actually very helpful when I mess things up. Teachable moment for everybody. Send me your questions in the chat. What do you want to pick my brain about? What's on your mind this week? Tell me what you have been up to. I have two skulls now. One of them is supposed to go on the life-size skeleton. It's just the rib cage is still <laughs> sitting on the table. So for now, the two of them are having a conversation. They're here with Aaron and Hugh. I have quite a spread now. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I, I very much appreciate the license to do the dumb things. It's really funny because when we first started, I wanted everything to be perfect. And I didn't want to show anything go wrong. And I wanted to perfect white background and gosh, we were off. <laughs> it took us a really long time to establish the right tone to engage with the audience. And actually, I sort of blame academia because I was so stuck on academia that I just treated everything in a very formal way, like I was always presenting. And I'm realizing now that the presenting is sort of a big turnoff. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just on social media. And in these videos, I think people absorb things better when you don't act like it's a formal presentation. And as a question about the art dare, the art dare this month is to make artwork that has a border. And yes, the selfish part of me made that. <laughs> because I was thinking about making borders. And so you guys are making borders this month. Anna says, what do you think is the function of a border? How do you relate the inside to the outside? I think in some cases, it can bring cohesion to a composition because the piece I'm using this border for my biggest problem with it is that it had too much white 
and I, I needed something that had a bit more weight. But the thing is, I didn't really want to add stuff in the background because I had this very intricate pattern. And so I thought, okay, the border is something that encloses that image. And so I don't have to worry about adding things to put them together. And I do think they need to relate inside and outside, whether it's the same color scheme or maybe there's a recurring motif that you're trying to put in there. This border that I worked on, this, this is the rejected one. <laughs> the, the good one is downstairs. I had to repaint it because yeah, long story. <laughs> this pattern that you see in the border, it was actually the patterning in the wallpaper in the background of the painting. It doesn't look exactly the same, but it's the same shape essentially. And I found that to be really helpful. Manette is asking, working on a self-portrait, which may end up being art dare entry, do partial borders count or does it have to be a complete border? Oh, it can be partial. As long as there's something that is encompassing some part. And if you go into the Discord, everybody, you will see that there are all kinds of borders. I can't remember whose it is, but somebody posted the other day one that had a post-it note border, which I thought was brilliant. I think Neil, who was here, did one with interlocking hands. However you want to interpret it. And Matt also follows up. I'm having a bad day trying to use art to work out my emotions. I'm sorry, that stinks. I just, you know what I really don't like is when my day starts out bad and then it just taints everything else. I'm not one of those people who can just perk up, pull myself out of the ditch. I, I just bury myself more. I, I'm not good at pulling myself out of that. Nicole says, with all the messiness, fixatives, graphite, and whatnot, what medium is messy and frustrating, but worth all the effort? I guess it depends on what worth it means to you. I was doing a lot of experiments this week because somebody got me that Sennelier oil pastel fixative, and I didn't end up liking it that much. I just felt like it wasn't that impactful. My answer about whether it's worth it though, the real question, is it worth it to you? Because some people might look at what you're doing and say, oh, that's not worth the time. Because I do find that I end up doing a lot of work that probably most people are number one, not going to notice. And number two, if I explained it to them, probably would say, that's not worth it. As long as it's important to you, that's the most important thing. You, you don't have to worry about all those other opinions when people chime in like that. Awesome. I'm so glad that Sinead is here from Australia. First live stream. It's Saturday here. Let us know in the chat how many of you are fairly recent. Maybe you found us in the past six months or so. Because we love it when new people show up. It's just the coolest thing, adding more people to the atmosphere. Emmett says, which color should I add to my acrylic paint palette? I've been upgrading slowly to golden brand. I've done phthalo blue, cyan blue, titanium white, dioxazine purple, burnt umber, raw sienna. 
I would probably get some type of yellowish red, something like cadmium red. Cadmium red light actually is one of my favorite cadmium reds because it's almost orange. And it's really great for flush tone because it has so much yellow in it. Because I, I, I do really like doxazine purple. I'm <laughs> a really, really big fan. You might try yellow ochre. I, I just love yellow ochre. Who here loves yellow ochre? Yellow ochre always works. Or, or maybe rather the way to put it is that yellow ochre can do no harm. I, I don't ever remember adding yellow ochre to a mixture and things going horribly wrong. You ever do that? Where you add a color and it's like, no, don't do it. Yellow ochre will never do that to you. It is not traumatic. Phthalo blue in the hand will mess you up pretty bad. And those are my personal favorites, but try out a bunch of different colors. Anybody have suggestions for Emmett? Any particular color that you found very helpful? And maybe add why. Jen says, some people have told me that mixing media like that was going to greatly reduce how long the art will last. It really depends. There's certain media that, yeah, is not going to be around. I think one of my colleagues told me about an artist, I can't remember the name, but speaking of post-it notes, <laughs> they made their art entirely out of post-it notes. And guess what? They're not archival. And I do not envy the conservation team that has to deal with something like that. Lena says, do you have any advice on how to get out of the sketching one object at a time phase? Start making art more than just study sketches. I feel very uncreative. Yeah, a lot of people go through that and it's okay. If one object is what you wanna do for a little while, it can be a good way to study but it sounds like you're itching to get out of that. I think what's really helpful is to set a scene. So you don't just think about objects, but you think about a, a place. So actually, <laughs> this is a little scene because you know what it is. When you have a little scene, you can put things in front of each other. Okay, let's make a little scene, ready? <laughs> I could put this skull. Let's put Hugh in front. Okay, there. He's there. We have this. And then we have the brushes. Okay, does everybody see this? What's nice about this is you have objects that are in front of each other. They overlap. Okay, does everybody see how the brushes, they're in front of the skeleton. So you have the skull in front, Behind it is the brushes, behind it is the skeleton. And that creates depth. The way you get depth in a piece is when you have multiple objects and they are interacting with a space. If some of you are looking to do that and you don't wanna do something too complicated, actually, I really recommend going to our Flickr collection. And to be honest, I think 
one of the best references if you want to learn how to do something that's not just one object. Because actually, I've been having a lot of conversations with some people recently about drawing those single objects. I'm curious who here has maybe done that quite a bit, or, or maybe you did it for a little while, because it, there's a limit, obviously, to how far that can take you. Okay, let me pull this up. All right, so this is our free reference photo collection. I believe there's over 15,000 photos here. I'm very proud of myself. But if some of you know about my Bread Fairy series, these are all things that my mother-in-law creates. And some of my favorite photos are actually her kitchen. And the reason I really like them is because they do have individual objects. Here's one. Okay, so if we look at this image, does everybody see how it has the objects that are in front of each other? Like this pot is in the front, you have the mortar and pestle in the background. And to me, this is a still life. I know people think about still life as a very posed thing, but I really, really like these little, like this to me is a still life, okay? Frying pan in front, olive oil, pepper mill, I mean, that's really pretty. It's her kitchen. I mean, she's very good at making everything look pretty. But look at this. We didn't even plan this. This is just on the counter. And to me, this is a beautiful little scene. So if you want somewhere to get started, you might try looking at some of these images on the Flickr. And that might give you some ideas. Because sometimes you want to practice something, but you don't want to spend all that time really searching for subject matter and thinking it through. You just need something that you want to have quickly. <laughs> Lisa says, carried my sketchbook around today, but no action. Oh yes, I know what that is like. Timothy is very new, also from Australia. Hmm. Well, you guys know how I feel about Australia. <laughs> Although he lives in New York. So it's, it's not that important that I go to Australia. I just have to go to New York. <laughs> Kirsten says, just found you last couple months. My favorite part is the critiques. Helps me see my art with a fresh eye. Thanks. Thinking about taking one of your classes. Well, you should because we have a lot of fun in the workshops. I'm doing a workshop tomorrow on mixed media painting. And I'm excited about that because we've never run a workshop on that before. And the critique process, I think is very important, but I don't know, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that there are a lot of YouTube channels that cover critique to the degree that we do. I guess because I taught in art school for so long, critiques were half your life in art school is the critiques and what gets discussed. I had students tell me that the critiques were where they learn the most. Certainly that hands-on work in the classroom is very important, but critique to me just completely blows open your world. Oh shoot, sorry, Jen. <laughs> what I get. I don't have a moderator. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So this is the first part of Jen's comment. My painting started with acrylic, but wasn't liking how some of the lines weren't very crisp. Started using water-soluble oils over it to experiment. Do you think it was a bad idea? It's probably okay because acrylic will be the barrier against your surface. It's probably okay. I haven't done a lot with water-soluble oils. I think you're fine. The other thing you guys too, though, and actually we're doing a stream on this in March about archival materials. It is really nice to have archival materials, but there's so much of the time you really don't need to worry about that. The only times that I worry about archival materials is if it's something that I'm showing in a professional setting. For example, if I'm in a gallery show and there is the potential for somebody to buy it, absolutely, I'll make sure that I have all the archival stuff. Anytime I sell something on Etsy or whatever, I'll make sure everything is archival. But if I'm just doing some sketches to practice drawing hands, it does not matter. Because archival materials, they, they do cost a lot more, especially when it comes to paper. And so it's not something that I think everybody has to do all the time. It's just something you have to be mindful of. Because if you start selling and not thinking about those things, that's when it becomes a problem. Actually, I did this myself. When I first got out of college, I must have been 22. The school I taught at had this auction. And so I decided to donate some artwork. And some of the artwork I had done were these figure drawings, and I'd done them on newsprint. Newsprint is not archival. <laughs> it yellows over time. It's extremely fragile. I mean, what was I thinking putting those into an auction? And what happened actually is somebody did buy it and it got damaged somehow because newsprint is crazy fragile. And in retrospect, that was a really dumb thing for me to do. So that's the only time you really have to be conscious of it. The rest of the time, it's okay. And Luis says, I have to paint on a 30 by 40 canvas for a class. I feel so intimidated. What if I'm not good enough? That doesn't matter because you have to do it. It's for the class. I mean, maybe you aren't good enough, but you're going to do it. So it doesn't have a lot to do with, are you good enough? It has to do with shifting your mindset because let's say you're used to doing drawings that are no bigger than 12 by 16. All of a sudden you have to do this canvas, which is just so much bigger than what you're accustomed to. The thing you need to do is to realize that you can't work the same way that you used to work. You have to change things up. And the biggest difference, I think, when you work large is you have to spend way more time stepping back and really looking at it from a distance. You should be doing that anyway. But what I sometimes see, <laughs> I'll tell people, all right, let's take Aaron. 
I'll, I'll tell people, okay, so let's pretend I'm sitting in class, okay? And I'm drawing like this, all right? I'll come around to the class and I'll say to the students, okay, I want everybody to step back and look at your piece. They all do this. They're like, guys, get out out of your seat. <laughs> Stand up. This is not stepping back, okay? This is not helpful. But if I put this on the other side of the room and I look at it from a distance, that's when it's going to be extremely helpful. The other thing that will help you too, Louise, you have to really plan. I'm always into thumbnails and sketching and everything, but on a big scale, you don't want to just jump in. You've got to have a plan. Work out the thumbnails, figure out what you want to paint, because without that preliminary work on that scale, painting gets very stressful. So if you do those two things, you step back, look at it from a distance, and you do serious planning. So when you actually are painting, it doesn't feel stressful. That will help. And then the other thing is you've got to make friends with your big brushes. You can't paint small. For example, th this might seem like a gigantic brush, but if I'm painting a big painting like that, I feel like this is not even big enough for my first pass. So you don't necessarily have to get painting brushes for this. I would probably go to the hardware store and buy some China bristle brushes. They're really inexpensive and you can get them very wide. So you, you can just really block because the thing about working large, it is a stamina thing. It's like you were running a one mile race. Now you're running a 20 mile race and you have to be conscious of that. So Luis, as long as you do those things, it doesn't matter if you're good enough or not. <laughs> <laughs> Alexandria is asking, what is your advice for learning interesting multi-point perspective composition? I would say you have just got to go through the fundamentals. You have to. That's not a place where you can sort of learn it a little. You really have to have all the building blocks in place. Because I know sometimes people feel like that's a lot of work to really sit down and learn it, but it makes your life so much easier. My spouse loves reading manuals <laughs> for software. And he knew the software inside out when he was a college student because he was the one who would sit and read the manual. And then everybody else, wouldn't read the manual and they would just pick up stuff here and there and none of it made sense because they couldn't pick up the connections between things. I would recommend go through my slide lectures and really listen to them and take your time. People want to skip to the good part. People will say to me, well, I want to do three-point perspective. And I say, well, have you really done your homework? And they're like, yeah, but three point looks so cool. I want to try. I'm like, no, one point. Okay, <laughs> just start there. I did a short about this the other day that some things cannot be rushed. Linear perspective is one of them. You, you can't hope you figure it out. There are some things you can sort of tinker 
a little bit. But when I was teaching myself linear perspective over that summer, I studied it. I wasn't just picking up a few things here or there. Karasu is asking, how would taking an online class from a mixed media artist be different from a college class? I'm taking a class from an artist I like and I absolutely hate it. It's focused on intuitive painting. Oh, that's a bummer. It all depends on the teacher. Tell me in the comments, who here has had this experience? When I was in college, I'd have some subject that I, I really, really liked. Okay, so let's say it was portrait painting. Oh, I love, love portrait painting. And then you get a bad teacher and a bad teacher can make you hate your favorite subject. I took classes in art school that I didn't want to take, like 3D design. I didn't have interest in that. And I loved it, my favorite class. And I didn't think I had any interest in it. You know why? Because I had a great teacher. And he made me love it because he was such a great teacher. The thing that I would suggest, Karasu, in terms of selecting instructors is it's very important to talk to other people who have studied with that person, if you can. I know that's not always an option, but that's important. And also, again, it depends on the place. But usually if you look at somebody's written information, for example, all the workshops we do, I have a whole workshop guide. I provide all these resources. And if I look at somebody's guide for their workshop and it's a mess and I cannot read it, that's usually not somebody who's going to be a good teacher. <laughs> if you can't prepare good handouts that make sense to people, that's usually a big red flag. The other thing I would say too, is that being a good artist and being a good teacher, totally separate skills. It's like saying, oh, I'm really good at skiing. I'm also really good at baking. And so to say, oh, well, if you're good at baking, you must be good at skiing. It's not true. Totally different. In fact, I've got this theory. Tell me in the chat if you guys agree with this. My theory is that sometimes people who are great artists are not very good teachers because they're so good at what they do that perhaps it's harder for them to empathize with somebody who is not very good at it or is really, really struggling. And then sometimes the people who are very good teachers are the ones who are not these masters of work, but sometimes that's because they really are spending all their time on the teaching part. Some of you may have heard, and this is a totally true stereotype, these colleges, they bring in these famous painters from New York City. They drop in, teach two days, go back to New York City. I mean, that's not somebody who's invested in teaching. They're just coming in to drop in and do that thing. And then you meet other people who really are invested in teaching. And maybe they don't have that superstar New York City career, but I would just remember, just because somebody's a good artist, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a good teacher. 
Now, sometimes you get people who are both. That's not that common. It's amazing when you do. But I think the assumption that because somebody's a good artist, it must mean they know how to teach. I don't think that's true at all. And I'm going over comments. I love that you guys are chatting. I'm like 10 minutes behind <laughs> in the comments. Okay, so Tiff is asking, if you use a good varnish over painting or drawing, would it help keep low quality materials? No. If your paper is not archival, there's nothing you can do about it. And paint is probably most, as long as you're getting fairly decent quality paint, Paint is one of those categories I really think you, you get what you pay for. If you pay for paint and it's really cheap, there's a reason why. There's other things where I think, oh yeah, it's not really, you pay, you get what you pay for. But paint is definitely the case. Varnish is not gonna bail out poor quality temper paint. Lisa says, how long does it take to get used to drawing standing up? I always sit. I prefer to sit, but I do know because I have had to stand during drawing classes for long periods of time that I'm definitely more alert. When I sit, I, I get a little comfortable and at least the way I draw, this is not the case for everybody. I, I am a little bit hyper <laughs> when I draw. And so for me, standing up actually feels really good because I feel like it channels into the way I draw. Not everybody's like that though. Some people draw in a more meditative way. I'm not really like that. That you guys are supporting Luis and all these other people who are asking for help. Iron Earth says, I've seen paintings by Brock in the Cubist style, how to learn to do that. Do master copy. Master copy is one of the best ways to learn someone's technique because when you do a master copy, you have to really break down and analyze and look very closely at the painting, how those effects were made. And a lot of people think that a master copy, that the outcome should be, oh, okay, I have an accurate representation of this Rembrandt painting, okay? But actually that's not true at all. You could do a master copy that doesn't look that great. <laughs> only, only has a slight resemblance to Rembrandt. But if you do that Rembrandt master copy and you learn something about his brushwork, something about how he layered colors that's new to you, and that you tried a technique that you ordinarily would not do on your own, that's a win. So when you do a master copy, don't think about the outcome. Think about process. You look at the way Rembrandt added a highlight. And so maybe you try to emulate that by twisting your brush a certain way. That is what the master copy is for. It is not there so that way people can look at it and say, oh my God, is that a Rembrandt? <laughs> you can leave that to the forgers. They're very good at that but that's not the purpose. It's to really process. I know there is an awful lot of emphasis on salts, product, finish. 
But you know something? I really think the finished work is a small percentage of what it is to be an artist. Because when I think about my entire practice, okay, everything I do to be an artist, yes, the finished pieces take a long time. I'm not doubting that for a second. But all the other practice and the experimentation and pieces where I, I really just want to get good at my technique and I don't care about the outcome. Because oftentimes getting too fixated on results, it can really hold you back because then you're not trying a lot of things. You're, you're so worried about making it look good. Who here has been in that situation where you've caught yourself getting too fixated on, oh, is it going to look good? Oh, are people going to like it? If you have felt that paralyze you to any degree, because for me, it always does. And I think that's why I gave up doing portrait commissions. I couldn't handle the stress of the results. I just am not good in that way. Plus the clients were so frustrating to work with. <laughs> Neil, I had a crush on my college math teacher, which made me like a math class. <laughs> See, I couldn't do that. I just, like, what, what if Hugh Jackman was teaching my math class? Like, I would not be listening. Cypherian <laughs> says, my class hated our pattern making class because the teacher sucked at teaching it. We learned more pattern making at our draping class because that teacher could actually teach it. Yeah, you, you hope that these places that you take classes from that they're going to have faculty that do their job but unfortunately not everybody does that and i posted that short recently about me crash learning linear perspective over summer because i had to teach a class on it and there are some people who, who felt that was wrong of me that i was cheating the students for not teaching something that was already my forte. And the thing is, teachers have to do that all the time. And students just don't know. <laughs> Nobody tells you this stuff, but every teacher I know has had to learn something before they taught it. We don't all come into our classes knowing everything 100%. And even the things we think we know 100%, we don't really know. When I taught a line, not line, just a basic intaglio etching class. I had tons of experience at that point. I knew how to do it. But to explain it to somebody else is really hard. And sometimes I'd be in these situations where there was some physical thing. I needed to show them how to do. And because I was good at it, I would just do it. And then I think, how, how do I explain? Do, do I twist it? Like, actually, breaking that down is very, very difficult. And okay, so Karasu is following up. The feedback is terrible too. Yeah, I find that the model for online learning now is this passive learning where you get videos, you get material, go do it. I I've never understood it because to me, that is about 20% of a class, the experience of taking a class. To me, you have to get in there in the trenches with the students and you have to work with them. And our workshops 
and the Patreon group, actually, where I do provide a lot of support. It's a ton of work because we're in there and we're helping people. We're talking to them. And that's a lot of work, but that's what teaching is. Teaching cannot be this thing where I give you a thing and then, oh, see ya. It doesn't work that way because you can watch all the tutorials you want a billion times and every single person watches that tutorial differently. Some people might watch a tutorial and feel like they don't know what to do. Other people might say, oh yeah, I know what to do. It all depends on the person. And so I've never understood this blanket teaching system that people seem to have. Timothy is asking, do you like or want pencils? I've only ever used them, so I don't know how to move away from them. Actually, Derwent is a manufacturer that I haven't really used a lot of. In terms of pencils, I guess I really like Stadler. But granted, I haven't really tried that hard with pencils, only because I don't really use them that much. But guess what, everybody? I haven't sent out this email yet, but it's going out tomorrow. Because all of you guys are asking me about these supplies and a lot of you are curious about what is my take. So guess what? We now have a program that's gonna let you send me supplies that you are curious about, that you would like to see our opinion and reaction on, and we will create content based on that. So basically you can send art supplies to me, to Lauren, to Deep D, and we'll create stuff. So basically you just purchase something off of my Amazon wish list. So I've added items here that I'm curious about. Because actually I was thinking about it. The acrylic inks I've used, I really like the Sennelier's. Not a fan of the Daler Rowney, but I haven't tried the other brands. So I was really curious about Dr. P.H. Martin's because I know Kat really, really likes their inks. So I was very curious about these. Somebody else told me about the Schmincke ones. This I really want to make some content about casting. So I was thinking I was going <laughs> to, I was going to cast the little head of Aaron Tavay. <laughs> I was going to make a silicone mold and cast little Aaron Tveit heads, and I was going to put blood on them <laughs> for Sweeney Todd. I just thought that sounded really fun. So if you want to see that casting tutorial, somebody should buy me the silicone so I can do that. And so what I'll do is I'll try material on the live stream. You got my first reaction. And then we also have sometimes follow-ups with shorts. And so if you guys have art supplies that you want me to put on the wish list, just let me know. You can comment in the Discord or wherever. I have to look at it and see if it's going to fit in with our programming. But hopefully this is a fun way for you guys to get involved because so many of you have just wonderful suggestions. Because it seems to me that a lot of people really like the comparison videos. Because I think it's one thing to talk about a material by itself. But when you say compare things, the most recent one I did was I compared the Neutron liquid charcoal to the Schmincke 
And I think sometimes it's a little bit easier to really understand the material when you're talking about two different brands of the same material, you can really distinguish what is unique about each brand. Let's see, Nicole is asking, do you have a painter you love whose drawing style you don't appreciate quite as much? Love Rembrandt's paintings, find his drawings quite scratchy. Painter you love whose drawing style? I, I know the opposite. <laughs> the opposite, a painter I don't like, but I love his drawings is Surratt. Surratt has beautiful charcoal drawings. Look them up right now. I adore his charcoal drawings. Not as much as a fan of his pointillist impressionist pieces. I, this is my personal taste showing through. In general, I'm not that into the impressionists. I mean, I understand their significance and I think they have done great work, but they're not really my personal cup of tea. And I do feel like they're a little bit oversaturated. I mean, especially where I grew up in Boston, the Boston Museum of Fine Arts really likes their impressionism. It's absurd. And I just got tired of it after a while. So that's just my experience. But that is pretty common because artists will work in so many different media. And I definitely have seen artists where I go, oh, wow, I really like their prints. I don't really like their paintings so much. And that's why I think it's great when artists use so many different materials. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are agreeing about the lack of experimentation. Tambo says, causes me to not try new ideas. And Cheesecake is a people pleaser. And, oh, trust me, Anna, there's more coming. I made a new playlist. It's in the community tab. It's called Art School Parodies. There's gonna be more. <laughs> It's just, there's just too many good stories <laughs> we can do. Pat says, I've used the smooth on silicone and resin. It was a lot of fun. I'm always afraid of wastage because it costs so much. Oh, I know. I made 50 sculptures. And I think I was able to cast two per gallon but each gallon was $150 and I made 50. I was lucky I had a grant at Wellesley College. I had a faculty grant that paid for most of it. So I was able to do it, but it's stressful. I think the worst thing <laughs> about silicone, so the technique that I would do is this one, it's, it's poured, okay? So you have, let's say this is the sculpture, okay? You have a mother mold, which is plaster and you, you make this thing and it goes around, but there's a little space in between the plaster and the skull. And that's where the silicone comes in. And I've had times where if you don't seal it airtight, you start pouring that silicone and bleh, I, that happened to me once. It, the silicone just went everywhere. I was so traumatized, that was awful. And to this day, even though I have experience casting and I'm pretty confident I can do it, I get really stressed. The second I have to start mixing, I get really, really stressed out because I always think it's not gonna work, which is really dumb because they have a very precise formula 
that you're supposed to follow to make sure it does work. But I'm always like, what if it didn't, what if I didn't mix it enough? It, yeah, it's really, really stressful. Ryan says, I've had my eye in the Sennelier Delacroix fixative for charcoal. Do you think it's just as mediocre as the pastel fixative? After watching your short the other day, I had reservations. I have no idea. It's very difficult to tell because some brands, I do think are sort of across the board, not that great. Artist Loft. Artist Loft. <laughs> I know Lauren really hates their sketchbooks. That's one brand I'm like, nah, I'm not going there. But there's other brands where they'll have one supply is like really good and the other one eh, not so good. And so the only way to really know is to try it. Also, for some reason, I just feel like the concept of an oil pastel fixative is a little weird. And in retrospect, when I looked at the results, Actually, I think I'm the problem, Ryan. I think because my oil pastel drawings are really thick. Like I really built it up. And I occurred to me, because I did have one oil pastel drawing that was pretty thin. I didn't have it built up a lot. And that one really was okay. And so I think maybe the amendment to those videos is it only works if your oil pastel is fairly thin. A lot of people don't do what I do. It's not common for people to layer it up that much. I do think fixative for dry media is tougher to mess up. I don't think I'd worry about that so much. I mean, Sennelier has very good quality supplies, but I will say their oil pastels are absurdly soft to the point that I don't think I can use them much. If I did, I would use it here or there, but I just found it absurdly smeary. It's like drawing with lipstick. DC Novak, what's the spelling for that artist? Let me put it in. I think you guys are talking about Surat. So check out Surat's charcoal drawings. Okay, so hopefully that's the artist you were asking about. Thank you so much, Lewis, for the super sticker. We so much appreciate it. Keep those coming. I know they look like small amounts, but because we have such a tiny budget, it really matters to us. Like, I'm knocking when people give us $15, I'm still over the moon. And so any amount you guys can give to support us would be fantastic because we have the world's worst business model. We give away our stuff for free. It's really not a good idea. <laughs> Tiff is asking, do you sign up for classes online or through Patreon? And where online are the classes held? New here, trying to catch up on everything. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff to process. <laughs> I understand that. You're doing exactly what you need to do, which is you come and you ask. So first of all, all of the workshops that we do they are virtual. We don't do them in person. And we do everything in our Discord. So once you get into our Discord, we have fabulous mods. You have me, we have staff, and we come in and we help you as much as you need it. I know a lot of people, if they haven't used Discord before, maybe feel a little bit intimidated by it, and that's okay. 
but you have so many people in the Discord who are so happy to help you. So that's the important thing to know. And we've had lots of people sign up for Discord for the first time because they took a workshop with us. And it usually works out fine as long as you join early. I always send out emails and I say, please join. Don't wait till the last minute. The people who really have trouble are the ones who don't join early enough for us to help you. I've had people join five minutes before the workshop. At that point, I can't help you. So if you do a workshop, you have to make sure you get in there a few days early so we can help you. That's the most important thing. Now, the Patreon group is a different thing entirely. The Patreon group, we have live voice sessions, but they're open. Like we talk about anything. Like a workshop is very focused. We have a workshop coming up about charcoal. Everybody's going to be drawing charcoal. In the Patreon group, we have a voice session and we could be talking about anything. It's kind of like this, actually, except it's in the Discord and you get to talk to us on voice. Here, you can't do that. Here, I'm reading all of your comments. So my recommendation, if anybody has questions about any of these things, join the Discord. That is the fastest way for us to help you and get you the information you need. Because in the Discord, we can send you links, we can send you screenshots and things like that. That's usually the way to go. They're not random, Lena. They are Fridays at 10 o'clock PM Eastern. And if you go to our website, rprof.org, the live stream schedule is in the main menu bar. And we also have some questions here. Harris is asking, what art careers are good for people who need more structure? Video art, animation, concept art are the only ones I can think of. I would say don't do freelance. Freelance doesn't have much structure at all. And every single gig is different. You're having to work with all different kinds of communication systems. So I would just say don't do freelance. And the ones that will provide structure are the ones that are usually, let's say, a full-time position at an animation company where you're working with a team, you can't just go off and do whatever. <laughs> you have a set schedule. You have a director who's telling you what to do. But graphic design is another one. A lot of people will say work at an advertising agency. And so you have a team of people that you're working with. Illustration is not like that. Illustration is all freelance. Or you're, say, working on your own graphic novel, in which case you really have to manage yourself. So I would say, Karasu, any team work environment is going to be one that has a structure. You have to have that. If you're working with a team of 10 people, you can't not have a structure. <laughs> so I would recommend doing that. Cheesecake says, ever tried developing film photos in black and white? Nice for art of experimentation with light and darkness. I'm currently loving the class along with my drawing and design class. I actually talked to somebody at a photo store, a local photo store recently, and he told me that he shoots almost everything on film. And I asked him, well, why are you doing that? Everybody's doing digital because it's cheaper and because it's just a lot more convenient, it's faster. And he said he really liked shooting on film because 
he knew he only had so many pieces of film. <laughs> he had only 36 in a roll. Older folks remember that. 24 and 36. <laughs> and then you would drive to CVS and drop it off and pick it up. <laughs> oh, those were the days. But he said that because there was a limit to how many pictures he could take, he said he was much more intentional when he took the photo. And I understand that because when I shoot photos, I mean, I shoot photos like a machine gun. I'm just like, because I never know what's going to work out. And I think if I had a film camera, I probably would do the same thing. I would, I would slow down and really invest more time. I mean, it's a little different. I'm not really a photographer. I take more photos for the reference photo collection, but it is really cool. And I regret that I never took darkroom photography. I really wish that I had had that experiment uh, experience. Really great comments in here regarding all of these topics. I like this from Janet's Cruising. Teaching is a skill not everyone has it learned. I wonder what you guys think about this. Do you think people are really cut out to be a teacher? Like for, forget about education and education degree and all that stuff. Do you guys feel like somebody can just be cut out to be a teacher? Or do you think it's really like skill you have to learn? I mean, it's sort of like what we were talking about. We had that recent stream that was about whether drawing was a talent or a skill. I definitely don't think teaching is a talent, but I do think there are some people that are really cut out for it. And I think a big part of it, you have to be really willing to engage. I mean, I've definitely had teachers. I'm like, why are you a teacher? You're the worst fit for this profession. <laughs> I think there are certain things. And I do think to be a teacher, you can't be a super selfish person because that's sort of the whole point is to be giving others <laughs> certain things. <laughs> we have a super sticker from Michael. Thank you so much. Keep those coming, everybody. Really, really helpful for us to get that support from all of you. Okay. Kirsten says, how do you join the Discord? Is it an APP? I have no idea what an APP is. <laughs> Let me know in the chat. But we do have a link in the YouTube video description below for the Discord. And so if you go there, that will get you in. And if you can't figure it out, go to our website. Actually, I'll show you guys. This would be a lot easier for you to see instead of me explaining it to you. Okay, so if you go to our prof.org and you go into the menu bar, if you want information on the Discord, go to join the ArtProf family and just click on here, Discord server. And you'll see we have lots of information on how it works. We have a one minute video that explains it. And we also have how to join. So the first thing you need to do is you have to go to Discord, not us. And you need to get an account. And then you click on this link, which is an invite to our server. 
we have lots of fantastic staff to help you. So the, the key thing is to get into our server. Once you're in our server, we will do everything we can to help you out. Savinari is asking, what's the 3-1 critique? Yeah, really good question. Let me go to the Discord and I can show you guys. So we do have these critique channels. And well, this is the news channel. <laughs> the critique channels are here. So this channel is for paintings. So if you want to post a piece and get feedback from it, we do ask that people really write about the piece. So if you come in here and you post a picture and you say, what do you think? That's not sufficient. We really want people explaining, okay, these are the things that I want to work on. We will tell you if you don't write enough that you need to write more. So here is an example. We ask people to write about that amount and we're here to help you. Like if you come into the critique channels and you're like, I don't really know what to do, just at moderator and somebody will come and help you out. But the reason we have the 3-1 critique, so this is it. If you post one artwork for critique in the Discord, you got to leave three comments on other people's pieces. And this is, so it's not one of those post and run situations. Like have people seen, especially on Facebook, there are these massive art groups, okay? And then you go in there and it's just self-promotion. Check out my thing, look at my painting. It's not true engagement. And so this assures a couple things. It's a two-way street, okay? Because we can't just have this me, 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 me attitude all the time. If you want something, you have to give something. And that's how this works. So if you post an artwork for a critique, you get really good comments. These are the kinds of comments that people get. And if you went into one of those Facebook groups with 50,000 artists, you'll never see this kind of attention because nobody's enforcing that. And this is a lot of work for our moderators to enforce, but in my opinion, it is extremely important. And I think it has given people the opportunity to get critique when it hasn't been an option for them in the past. But note that staff, meaning me and the TAs, we are not present in the public critique channel. So if you want critiques from us, join the Patreon group and we are happy to help you there. Anna's confused about Patreon group plus Open Studios Club with the colors. How do you sign up for that? So we have tiers on Patreon. So if you're in the Patreon group, but you want to add open studios, we combine the two. Because some people just want to do open studios. Some people just want to do Patreon. Some people want to do both. And so if you need help with that, Anna, you can just tag me in the Discord. I'll help you out with that. So Maria says, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that some people have the temperament for it love for learning and sharing knowledge. However, you absolutely need to learn the skills. Yes. And as artists, there's a lot of skills. <laughs> I feel like, yes, in every field, there's a million things to learn. But with art, think about how many techniques 
and the t- I mean, of course, you could have to teach them all. But if you were a high school art teacher, you would have to teach a lot of different things. You can't just coast on charcoal drawing. <laughs> you really need to do a lot of different things. Louise says, I forgot this artist's name who drew people in a mental ward by breaking in. He died in his mid-20s. I don't know who that is, but you know what? If you guys want to see some really striking expressionistic lithographs, look up Michael Mazur. I'm typing this into the chat. And type in images from a locked ward. They are lithographs. And, oh. They're some of my favorite prints. They're so good. <laughs> oh my God. This is, this is so good. <laughs> okay, I think I need to show you guys now. Now I'm like really excited. <laughs> there are some artworks. I mean, I don't have difficulty getting excited about artwork, but there's some artwork is so good. Oh my gosh. Oh, Michael Mazur. There, there's not a lot of artists where I look at their work and I'm like, I wish that was mine. Oftentimes I'll look at art and think, wow, that's amazing. And I'm so engaged by it. But I look at his stuff and I'm like, I wish that was my art. Images from a locked ward. Let's pull some of those up. I'm just going to save them on my desktop so you guys can take a look. But, oh my god, they're so good. <laughs> oh my god! It's so incredible! Like, Michael Mazur! Oh my god. Okay, let's pull up some of those images so all of you can take a look. Ah, that's a tiny image. Give me a second. What? Why are these all tiny? Oh, I feel so gypped! I have to find one that's full res. Oh, I need to do the image size search. So that way they look bigger. Hopefully this works now. Because <laughs> you guys have to see these. <laughs> like, I'm about to cry looking at these. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, here they are. Okay, that's one. Here. Oh my god. <laughs> Why is that not mine? <laughs> Why did I not make those textures? <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> I haven't seen these in person, but I really wish I would. Yeah, this one's tiny. Anyway, that's one image. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll put it away. <laughs> <laughs> really distracted. Otavio says, listening to you talk about art and experimenting feels so liberating, especially when I'm under a lot of pressure, family too, to create a perfect plan to show where my artistic life is going. That's so frustrating. I mean, why do people always put this pressure that we have to prove that what we do is worth doing. I just think you don't get to tell people that what they're doing is not worthwhile or a waste of time or if it's important to you, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's 
totally fine. Like, I, I just have never understood that attitude. Like, why would you punish somebody for doing something if they get joy out of it and they're not hurting anybody? <laughs> Amanda says, I'm a high school teacher. I'm still scared of teaching watercolor. I'm like, kids, you are on your own. I mean, that's where I always tell people, study with different teachers because you're not going to get everything from one instructor. There's a good reason why I have a staff. <laughs> I mean, I totally could run a YouTube channel entirely by myself, but we would have nowhere near the depth and diversity of skills represented on the channel. I mean, things would be a lot easier. I wish to pay anybody. I would, but it's like, I feel like I would get bored of being a one person YouTube channel very fast. And Cypherian says we should have a weird artwork slash wild artist stories. I mean, that's basically what the sessions are when I do open studios or Patreon or even the stage sessions after the live streams, those are free. So you guys can join those. We don't have those all the time, but if you look at the live stream schedule, you'll see sometimes we have those stage sessions, which is really fun. The art of DHT says, is YouTube good for artists? I think so, fundamentally. When I was a kid, you either got a book or you taught yourself. You just messed around. There was a lot of reinventing of the wheel in the 90s. I do think it's difficult, though, to go through all that stuff. I find it extremely overwhelming, the amount of content. Who here feels that way? Like, let's say you want to get better at watercolor. And you go on YouTube and you search how to paint with watercolor and like a million tutorials come up. And it's so frustrating because you don't know which ones are good you, unless you watch them all, which takes. So I almost feel like YouTube is sort of like a really big thrift shop. There's so much stuff and you know there are some gems in there, but you got to wade through so many things to find that. And I think what's especially hard is if you're a total beginner and you don't have any experience, you don't have anybody who you know is trustworthy, sometimes you can't tell what's bad advice. There's no way you could. And that's what sort of frustrates me is that there's a lot of, I guess I would call it prevailing art advice. Like line of action is a, a big topic I see it all over YouTube, there's a billion videos on line of action, but line of action is one thing. And a lot of people act like it's the only thing. And I know that's not the case. <laughs> there's so many other ways to draw the figure. And yet if you search figure drawing and the only thing that comes up is line of action, of course you're gonna think that's the only way to do it. So that's the thing that I think is very hard is finding the right person to ask those questions. Yeah, the amount of content is 
really, really overwhelming. <laughs> yes, Brian, art was very different. Yeah, do you, do you guys remember commercials? <laughs> My kids, once I, they were very young and we took them on a trip and we were in a hotel and I said, okay, you guys can watch TV. And it was network TV. And they saw a couple, couple commercials come up and they went, what? What's happening? Like they did not comprehend. It's <laughs> like, guys, 80% of our childhood is watching all of these commercials. <laughs> really, really present. Reminder, we don't have Discord chats after Friday night hangouts, but we do on our other live streams. So you can chat with us then. In our Patreon group, you get to share your art in weekly voice sessions with our staff. You get written critiques from me and support in between the voice sessions. But most of all, you get to make art friends. Thank you so much to our phenomenal top Patreon supporters. And I, I will note a couple new lines here. I, I had to move a couple names to the second slide. So thank you all for supporting us. Art Prof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And Gumby, who, by the way, he gained five ounces. When we got him, he was only 13 ounces and we weighed him today and he's 18 ounces. He's still tiny, but he, he's gonna, he, he's on the move. I, I think he's gonna build up some muscle if he hangs up with Jub Jub. Thank you so much, everybody. I'll see you next time.